Chapter Twenty Seven of the Three Midshipmen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Three Midshipmen by william henry giles kingston chapter twenty seven chasing the pirate fleet adair had just come on deck when jack jumped overboard to save murray and he was on the point of jumping in after him when his arm was seized and he found himself held back by captain grant you would uselessly risk your life adair exclaimed the captain lower that gig be sharp about it you may go in her several men with adair had instantly flown to the boat nearest them and under the direction of the captain were lowering her when the afterfall gave way and up she swung by the bows most of her gear falling into the water as did one or two of the men in her he was a good swimmer and struck out boldly to keep up alongside the ship but the current was too strong for him and before a rope could be heaved to him he gradually dropped astern the fall had been injured by one of the enemy's shots another boat was now lowered but in consequence of the darkness and the disarrangement incidental to the work in which the men had been engaged more delay than usual occurred at last the boat was lowered and manned and adair and mr cherry jumping into her away they pulled to pick up in the first place the poor fellow who had just fallen into the water they shouted out his name a faint cry reached their ears he had already got a long way from the ship it took some time before they could find him he must have sunk once and they caught him just as he came up again he was insensible when they hauled him into the boat adair wanted to go on but mr cherry said that he feared the man would die if they did and that it was his duty to carry him on board i fear too that there is little chance of our picking up the other two poor fellows he observed they must have drifted a long way by this time and can scarcely have kept afloat you don't know sir what a superb swimmer jack rogers is exclaimed adair he will keep up for an hour or more i have no fear on that score let us get this man on board and we'll soon find him terence had never in his life felt so deeply anxious as he now did the boat rapidly returned to the ship the nearly drowned man was hoisted on deck and then once more they shoved off and fast as the men could bend their oars they pulled in the direction it was supposed murray and jack must have drifted the fire-ships were still blazing away as the boat approached them i think that they cannot be far from here said mr cherry steady now lads paddle gently keep a lookout on either side all of you terence however thought that they might have drifted farther on rogers ahoy he stood up and shouted jack roberts where are you 
just then one of the fire ships would which had been burning most furiously and concealed everything on the other side of her blew up with a loud explosion scattering her burning fragments far and wide around her several pieces of blazing timber fell into the boat among the men one or two were much hurt and they had enough to do to heave the bits overboard to prevent the boat herself catching fire terence was in an agony of fear for the sake of his friends a single fragment of the burning ship falling on them would have sent them to the bottom still he would not give up all hope but continued searching mr cherry now agreed that if they were still on the surface they must have drifted further on so on they pulled slowly looking out as before they had gone a little way when a man in the bows said he saw a boat in the distance mr cherry made her out also perhaps they may have reached her he observed this was very little consolation to terence because he did not think it probable if as there was little doubt she was a pirate's boat her crew would let them live still he was eager to go in chase mr cherry who was more calm thought it would be wiser to look about on every side to ascertain if jack was still floating near again and again they called to him but there was no answer either they have been picked up or are drowned said the lieutenant terence's heart sank within him mr cherry now agreed to go in chase of the chinaman's boat away they dashed their shouts of course had given notice of their approach and the boat was evidently pulling on rapidly before them bright sparkles of light fell from the blades of their oars and in their wake appeared a long fiery line as the boat glided over the dark smooth water two of the fire-ships were still burning and their position with the distant signal lights of the frigate enabled them to keep in the direction they believed the two midshipmen had drifted the chinaman's boat pulled fast and they appeared to be very slightly gaining on her adair believed that the only chance of saving his old companions lives was to overtake her mr cherry already gave them up as lost still he was determined if possible to overhaul the boat the crew bent manfully to their oars it did not occur to any one for some time that they had left the ship unarmed except that two of the men had pistols in their belts and one had still his cutlass while mr cherry had jumped into the boat without unbuckling his sword never mind the boat stretchers must serve those who haven't better weapons very likely the chinamen in the boats are no better off exclaimed terence in his eagerness the lieutenant agreeing with him on they went we shall have her at last cried adair we are gaining on her i am certain of it but hello what are those lights there ahead of us he added after some time the question was soon answered for looming through the darkness appeared a long line of large war junks behind which the boats of which they were in pursuit rapidly glided they must have been seen from the junks for directly afterwards they were saluted by a thick shower of jingo bullets 
while several rounds shot came whizzing past them terence in the impulse of the moment was for dashing on and attacking the nearest junks but as mr cherry had discretion as well as valour he ordered the men to pull round their starboard oars and to get out of the range of the shot as fast as they could it was rather too much for even six british seamen and two officers to do to attack a whole fleet of war junks terence was of the same opinion with heavy hearts they pulled back against the current to the frigate fully believing that rogers and murray were lost to them forever as soon as they made their report captain grant expressed his wish to make an attempt at all events to ascertain the fate of the two midshipmen if the frigate was got under way with the strong current which was then making she would most certainly be drifted on to the reefs a boat expedition was the only means left for doing anything immediately all boats of the ship were manned with guns in their bows and and this time the crews went well armed away they pulled resolving if they did not find the two young officers to make the pirates pay dearly for their loss the rest of the fire ships had burned out so it was now quite dark the men were in their usual spirits when fighting was to be done and were highly pleased at the thoughts of getting alongside the villains with whom they had hitherto been playing at long bowls a game to which jack had a great dislike terence had needham in his boat they had pulled for a considerable distance and adair thought that they ought to be up with the enemy can you manage to make out the junk stick he sang out no sir i can see nothing ahead whatever was the unsatisfactory answer so they pulled on yet farther still no junks were to be seen on proceeded the flotilla till they had considerably passed the spot where mr cherry and adair had fallen in with the enemy mr cherry considered that it was not prudent to separate so kept the boats together after again pulling some way to the east they first took a northerly course and then swept round again towards the south but not a trace of a boat or vessel of any sort could they discover just before dawn very considerably disappointed the expedition returned to the frigate as the sun rose a breeze sprang up and once more the anchor was weighed the sails were let fall and the frigate stood out of her perilous position a steady hand in each of the main chains kept the lead going while the master with anxious countenance stood on the bowsprit issuing his orders as to how the ship was to be steered starboard he cried starboard was the answer with a long cadence port port it is sounded from aft steady the seeming echo answered now the ship was tacked now she cut into the wind's eye now she was kept away now coral rocks rose up close to her now the channel was so narrow that it seemed as if there was not room for her to pass through it everybody breathed more freely when she was at last in clear water again what had become of the junks it was impossible to say 
not a sail was to be seen from the masthead altogether the affair in which they had been engaged had been disastrous and an unusual gloom was cast over the ship's company the frigate stood round the group of islands a complete archipelago with numerous intricate passages between them sometimes she brought up and the boats were sent away and strict search was made for the piratical fleet indeed no trouble or exertion was spared but all was without result no tidings could be gained either of the brig or of the fleet of piratical junks at length the frigate entered the chinese waters and anchored off canton one chinese city is very much like another they are surrounded by castellated walls some thirty feet in height and coated with blue brick which gives them a very toy-shop appearance the wall is about twenty feet at the base diminishing by the inclination of the inner surface to about twelve feet the thin parapet is deeply embattled with immediate loopholes but there are no regular embrasures for artillery the chinese till lately have seldom used cannon but have usually stuck to the bow and arrow at each gate there is a semicircular enclosure forming a double wall over the two gateways are towers of several stories in which the soldiers who guard them are lodged also at about sixty yards apart along the whole length of the wall are flanking towers projecting about thirty feet from the curtain some of the cities have ditches before the walls the interiors of most chinese cities are very similar the houses are very low and the streets which are narrow are paved with flagstones suited however only for the passage of people on foot or for sedan chairs the road is often crossed by ornamental gateways with square openings in the centre one on each side not an arch these have been erected to the memory of distinguished individuals another feature in the streets are the slabs of stone covered with inscriptions about eight feet high and placed on the back of a tortoise carved out of this same slab the plan of the houses is very similar in all respects to that of those discovered in pompeii with open courts and rooms opening up to them they have more lattice-work and paint and the ornaments and designs are of course very different the shops are generally open to the street those of one description being placed together as is very much the custom in russia portugal and other european countries suspended high above like a banner over each shop is a huge varnished and gilded signboard with a description of the style of merchandise to be sold within as these boards hang at right angles from the walls they contribute much to the gay appearance of the street the chinese delight in placing quaint inscriptions over their shops many of the streets are dirty in the extreme while the shops are dark and dismal and the shopkeepers far from urbane and accommodating people these narrow streets with their signboards and gateways 
with an ever-moving crowd of yellow-faced turned-up nosed pig-eyed beings in blue and brown and yellow cotton dresses wide trousers loose jackets and thatch-shaped hats carrying long bamboos with boxes or baskets hanging at each end or hung over with paper lanterns or bird cages and all sorts of other articles and here and there a sedan chair with some mandarin or lady of rank inside borne by two stout porters and we have a fair idea of the chinese city then of course there are public buildings of larger dimensions and temples and towers of porcelain pictures of which everybody has seen then outside the walls are canals and lakes and curious high-arched bridges and summer-houses and pagodas in the suburbs of canton where the foreign factories are situated the shops are open and the streets are not so much ornamented as in the city itself but the plan of the houses and the general arrangement are similar no other ship of war was at canton when the dugon arrived captain grant had fully expected to find the blenny there and was much disappointed at her non-appearance he waited anxiously for several days but she did not appear at length he determined to sail in search of her to lose our consort and those two fine young fellows rogers and murray is very trying he observed to lieutenant cherry as they walked the deck together while the ship was standing away from canton as to the blenny sir she'll turn up before long depend upon it unless she is hard and fast somewhere on a rock answered the lieutenant hemming has been routing out some of those piratical scoundrels and they probably have given him a longer chase than he expected still captain grant was not satisfied as the frigate cruised along she brought to all the vessels of every sort she fell in with and made inquiries at every island and place where anything like a truthful answer could possibly be procured they had an interpreter a chinese who spoke english though rather of a funny sort and as it required a good deal of cleverness to comprehend it it may be supposed what he professed to wish to communicate was not always very clear the man who might most have assisted them ho de had been missing ever since rogers and adair's battle on the island and it was supposed that he must have concealed himself for the purpose of returning home the dugong had been three days at sea when a clipper schooner with a dark hull square yards and a most rakish look hoved in sight early in the morning and approached the frigate on the coast of africa i should say that the fellow was not honest observed mr cherry who had the morning watch to adair i wonder what he wants a very pirate or slaver replies adair but she is only i suspect an honest opium smuggler honest do you call her exclaimed the lieutenant if because a vile system is carried on openly it is to be considered honest then slaving is honest and piracy and highway robbery for that matter 
see however her gallant skipper is not afraid of us look with what a self-satisfied air he walks the deck with his gold-laced cap and glass under his arm they are preparing to lower a boat and he'll come to pay his respect as one captain does to another in a short time the master of the schooner made his appearance on the deck of the frigate captain grant got up to receive him he was an intelligent dashing-looking young man i am glad that i have fallen in with you sir he began last night just before sunset i heard some firing and standing in the direction from which I, the sound came i observed a brig of war apparently almost surrounded by junks not far from the land to the southward of this out there i made sail hoping to render her assistance but so large a force of sailing and row junks sallied up from behind a point of land and made towards me that as i have lost half my crew with sickness and a former battle with a squadron of the villains i was compelled to up stick and run for it i shall be glad however to return with you and assist in piloting you to the spot thank you captain thank you answered captain grant extending his hand he wisely never denied nominal rank to masters of vessels however employed i most gladly accept your offer hudson is my name my craft is the flying fish and when you see her in a good breeze you'll acknowledge that she does fly along answered the master looking with pride at his trim and beautiful craft she and the frigate instantly made sail to the southward in a few hours the sound of an occasional shot saluted their ears and gave them hopes that the blenny was still afloat and able to defend herself as they got nearer they could make her out from the masthead amid a wide circle of junks which were keeping up a distant fire at her it is at this critical juncture felt perfectly calm captain hudson who had come on board the frigate and go gone aloft now returned on deck i know the trick of those fellows sir they hope to make her exhaust her ammunition and then to board her they seem pretty well to have done that already you must go to her relief in the boats or the villains may have cut the throats of all on board before you can get up to them this seemed too probable all the frigate's boats were now lowered armed with guns in the bows manned and sent away under the command of mr cherry without a moment's delay poor jack exclaimed adair to young harry bevan it was only the other day that he and i were pulling along just as we are now doing and now who can say where he is still do you know harry i have an idea that he'll turn up somehow or other he's always has done so and i can't help hoping that he and murray may yet be found i hope and pray so i'm sure i do said harry almost crying but i'm afraid there's very little chance of it even if the chinese picked them up they would be sure to murder them End of chapter twenty seven